Welcome back to Torah on the Go. This is our podcast presented by the clergy at Valley Beth Shalom. And this week, once again, we are blessed to have Leah Leibowitz join us on the podcast. Not a clergy member at Valley Beth Shalom, or I should say not yet. Leah Leibowitz is editor-at-large <laughs> for Tableau Magazine and the co-host of Unorthodox, which according to iTunes is the world's most popular Jewish podcast. He's also the host of Take One, a daily Daf Yomi podcast, and a columnist and contributor to several publications, including the New York Post, the Wall Street Journal, City Journal, and First Things Magazine. He's the author or co-author of several books, including A Broken Hallelujah, Rock and Roll Redemption and the Life of Leonard Cohen, and most recently, How the Talmud Can Change Your Life, Surprisingly Modern Advice from a Very Old Book. I'll skip to the last paragraph this week. A ninth-generation Israeli and a veteran of the Israel Defense Forces. He now lives on the Upper West Side of Manhattan with his wife, his children, and a whole lot of the New York Jewish community. Liel, welcome to Los Angeles. What a pleasure to be here. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm of the lesser Leibovai. We did not go to the clergy. We, we just, you know, went to the lesser professions. But I'm thrilled. Yeah. We're thrilled to have you. We're thrilled to have you. So what we do every week on this episode, on this podcast is we talk about the Parshiot and we talk about kind of big ideas in the Parshiot. So we have talked about Genesis, the creation narrative. We've talked about Noah and the flood. We've talked about Abraham and Sarah and communication. Before we even get into this episode of Isaac and Ishmael, and kind of the transmission of the tradition from father to son, mother to son. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. How often do you read the Torah? I follow, religiously, no pun intended, the uh, the well-worn practice of Shnai Mikra Chatargum. I read uh, the portion twice and then uh, some translation, uh, often onkelos, but uh, sometimes my favorite commentators uh, who include Ramban, my beloved, I am much too uh, excitable to to really dig Rambam in his kind of cerebral ways. Uh, and Sfas Emes, uh, the founder of the Gor Hasidus, which is really my jam, as the kids say. <laughs> and Ramban is Nachmanides, for those Indeed. of you who, for those of you who like uh, medieval French mystics. We also have a thing that that I think is wonderful that some some uh, listeners may want to kind of replicate. We um, encourage by which I really mean we demand yeah. of our children uh, around the Shabbos table to give a short Vartor each, which doesn't have to be more than, you know, two minutes, uh, but does have to be original and does have to include uh, having done some reading with at least one uh, commentator, which is usually Rashi. But yeah. that's okay. It's a, it's a good practice to get into. That's incredible. Is that your practice or your, your parents' practice? Or did you find that from a teacher or a rabbi? I, I heard it from from a bunch of good friends uh, who did it and and observed their children and saw the the real joy that it brought them because then it didn't feel like it's yet another school assignment but rather uh, an opportunity to to think about the world and engage with the world on their own term because we never say that's wrong how can you say that Abraham did this it's anything goes and they as far as I could tell welcomed the opportunity to do so fantastic so we're going to actually talk about parents and children today. Mm. And we're going to talk about Are uh, we ever? perhaps the most complicated of all <laughs> relationships between fathers and sons is Abraham and Isaac. We read about it every Rosh Hashanah, Akedah Yitzchak, which is one of the most complicated narratives. But even before we get to Akedah Yitzchak, the binding of Isaac and the placing him on the altar, we have Abraham and Sarah making a decision between two sons in their household, Isaac 
who ends up becoming the one who carries the, the Jewish tradition forward, and Ishmael, who ends up being banished out of their home, the son of Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and he ends up being the father of the Arabic peoples. And so this story feels so modern and relevant in so many ways this week as we talk about it. We've taught Torah in spite of the dark nature of the world and what's going on in Israel as it battles for democracy and liberal values and the sake of humanity in defeating Hamas. And all of a sudden, we're brought face-to-face with it this week as Abraham makes a choice, Sarah makes a choice. It's perhaps the more accurate way to, to describe it. Sarah makes a choice that the tradition should pass through Isaac and not through Ishmael. What do you think she thought was at stake when she made that decision? I think the thing she thought was at stake uh, was really a much earlier decision, which was made by Ishmael himself. Uh, There is a neat symmetry between the story of Sarah and and Isaac and Ishmael and the story, of course, of Rebecca and Jacob and Esau, which which we are reading this week as, as we record this Shabbos. Uh, and in both of these cases, the oft-ignored element, because we focus so heavily on the mother's decision and also on the expulsion of a child robbed of what by right was his. Uh, but that tends to ignore the personal responsibility uh, of, of the lad involved. We are told about Ishmael that he was a pere adam yadoba kol veyad korbo. He was a wild person who had affairs with everyone and everyone had affairs with him. Um, now, that was not just a common man. This was a son of Abraham, in fact, the firstborn. This was a person who had a choice to follow in this great tradition that he had seen in his father's tent, the tent open on all four sides. A person, uh, Abraham, so quick to rise up and, and greet guests that he would even ask God to wait just one second in our conversation while I run out there and do a mitzvah for complete strangers. And instead, he did something very different. Instead, he took a very different path. Instead, he uh, allowed and engaged his, as, as a Hasidim would teach us, his nefesh behemit, his, his beastly soul rather than his noble, godly soul. And I think uh, Sarah observes this and understands that if we are to all stem uh, from this lineage, and again, the Torah is nothing if not a story of lineage, uh, we would be infected with, we would be burdened by, we would be uh, at a, a stage of tremendous disadvantage of coming from someone with, with such an appetite and such a, an inclination to succumb to these appetites. So perhaps Ishmael represented kind of the animal instinct that he was of Abraham, and Isaac represented the the more elevated instinct, right? The the the, the good nature of, of Abraham. Uh, we're taught about Isaac in a, in a later parsha when he grows up. Right? Isaac settles in the same land as his father, and he redigs the water wells that his father had dug many years before. And that is the Jewish tradition. The Jewish tradition, in a nutshell, is each of us trying to access the same tradition that our parents did before us. Isaac seems to intuit and understand exactly what he's supposed to do to fit into this tradition. And Ishmael is out there doing all kinds of things that seem uh, to be uh, disapproving in Sarah's eyes. Sarah seems to be 
you know, want no part of it. We don't see how they're raised. And the Torah seems to not care. Meaning to say, so much of today is about whataboutism. What about the way that this person was raised? What about the way that person was raised? Absolutely. What about the context of so-and-so's upbringing? What about this? What about that? And the Torah seems to say that we own the way that we behave in this world. You know, there's a, this is a wonderful point that really I think is at, at the crux of, of, of the main drama of Parshas Toldos, the, the drama of Jacob and Esau. Uh, because you see these two emerge and you kind of look and think, why would Jacob be so crass and so duplicitous and, and take these means from denying his brother a simple meal and charging the very high price of the birthright to outright committing trickery to thieve the blessing uh, from, from Isaac. And the rabbis throughout the generations go out of their way to basically badmouth Esau and say, no, you don't understand. He was a savage. Rashi tells us that he raped 40 women every year or something like this. He was a total kind of bandit uh, and, and goes to really great lengths to say he was a bad person and he was bad from birth. The Rav Shimshon Rafael Hirsch, uh, sort of like one of the great German rabbis of modern orthodoxy, if you could call it that. 19th century, has, Samson has, Rafael Hirsch. Has, has a wonderful and scathing um, essay about this. And he says, this is absolutely wrong. Esau was a victim of bad upbringing. He said, what, what Isaac and Rebecca didn't understand is the great Torah principle of Teach every child according to his or her own way. You see, you cannot educate an Esau the way you educate a Jacob. You cannot educate an Ishmael the way you educate Isaac. These are different people. Esau is uh, athletic. He is courageous. He is dexterous. He's a person who likes to run around in the field. And Jacob is this little, you know, scrawny, nerdy guy who Yeshev Walim, Ishtamim, Yeshev Walim, he likes to sit in the tent and read like, you know, a good Yeshiva boy. You cannot say, okay, now both of you, says Samson Raphael Hirsch, if you say to both of them, okay, both of you sit here on this bench, right. then you're doing a really big disservice because you fail to see the innate goodness and the innate characters of, of these kids who otherwise would have grown up to be very, very different people. I believe that wholeheartedly, and I think it's one of the most profound lessons of, of, of these couple of parshiot reminding us to always try to find the innate good in people and, and find a way to accelerate these virtues. And by the way, this indeed historically kind of does happen. In Parshat Chaisar, we see uh, Isaac and Ishmael bearing Abraham together. And we know that Esau, uh, who's then nicknamed Edom or Big Red, um, is going to be the eventual, um, the eventual father of uh, Edom, who the Talmud teaches us is the Roman Empire and later Christianity, who we as Jews traditionally don't hate. We have a complicated relationship with, but understand that there's a, there's a form of brotherliness here and there's a form of of injunction to do a tikkun to kind of repair the mistakes that we've made and, and come together with our brothers so it's clear that the torah doesn't know from islam and christianity because those two things didn't exist yet in the world the rabbis assigned to each one of these brothers a role in the creation of each of these kind of 
cousin religions, that, that their cousin belief systems, faiths, however you want to describe them. So Yishmael is assigned the role as the father of Islam and the Arabic peoples. And Esav is assigned, as you described in the Talmud, mm -hmm. they call him Edom in the Torah. And the Talmud goes on to say that he has a connection to the Roman Empire, which in a sense is a connection to Europe and Christianity in general. And these are extraordinarily dysfunctional relationships that we share with both of them. As a matter of fact, we start with Adam and Eve's two first two sons who kill one another. That, that ended up well. Did not, yeah. Cain and Abel is not a good story, right? Noah's sons get out of the ark and have kind of a very strange, awkward episode that, that would be... That is NSFW, as the kids say. Not, <laughs> not safe for work. Not safe for work. Yeah. And then, <laughs> imagine if there was an HR person on the ark. It would, mm -hmm. have, it would have not ended up well. And then we get to Abraham, who, whose drama is not with the brother because his brother doesn't survive the journey. So he doesn't have to worry about it. And then we're told almost the same story twice with Abraham's two sons and then Isaac's two sons. There is this, this split, this natural rift that happens. Why do, you think, why do you think it's so important for us to know, according to the rabbinic tradition, according to the commentary of the sages, that Islam and Christianity, that the Middle East and that Europe are our cousins, that we're all family in this way, even in times that are let's just say, even in times that test that relationship, because you have to understand that the rabbis certainly didn't live through easy times. I will say something now that uh, is, is easy to misinterpret uh, as some call, as some sort of facile call to laying down arms and hugging it out, uh, which is certainly not how I feel when it comes to the realm of, of realpolitik and, and the realm of this very particular conflict. If we had a newsflash icon, it would be on right now. Liel is about to enter into the Kumbaya zone. Here we go. This is it. It, it is more than the Kumbaya zone. It's, 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 the, it's the timeless zone, not the twilight zone, but the timeless zone. Because if you take the example of Edom, uh, there's a really interesting story with the Edomites. Um, the Edomites are not kind to us <laughs> throughout history. To say the least, it's an understatement. Uh, yeah, we read, we read, uh, you know, early on in, in in Talmudic times, we read that these people tried to agitate uh, and have us uh, indeed extinguished, and only the wisdom of Shimon Tzadik stopped this uh, from happening because they they were trying to agitate for Alexander the Great to basically eradicate all the Jews, and here we are, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later, and the Romans are uh, putting Jerusalem under siege. And all of a sudden, out there, at the gates of the city, are the Edomites saying, if you want to get to our brothers, you have to go through us. Now, obviously, historically, that alas didn't make much of a difference. Uh, Jerusalem was destroyed. But that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is that transformation was possible. The point of the story is that Edom went from oyev to ohev, from an enemy to a lover. The point of the story is that us Jews don't view history at time frames of, you know, 24 news, uh, 24 hour news cycles. We view history right. at a span of a thousand years. Through the long lens. The very, we play the very, very, very long game. Right. And this is a, a, not just a reminder that when you look at the world in this time frame, it moves and looks very different, but also an exhortation. 
uh, to go out there and, and if you can, hasten this tikkun. To remember that these people are not your enemies, but your brothers, and, and to do everything you can to return yourself and help them return too, to that point where you're both standing at your father's gravesite and bemoaning him and celebrating your shared heritage. So it's easy today to read the Torah and say, we are entrenched in the same struggle as Isaac and Ishmael, as Jacob and Esav. It is, it is easy to relate to what is happening in, in contemporary times to antiquity and say that we relive this cycle over and over again. What's difficult is to say that Jacob and Esav fought and Esav threatened to kill him and Jacob ran away and lived most of his life under the impression that they were in this kind of cosmic struggle. And only upon returning, only upon returning and seeing each other, they actually embrace and cry and kiss one another because they realize how much time they had lost in this, in this fruitless struggle with each other. Um, as Jews, we are taught to hold out hope. There is a positive image at the end of both of these narratives, whether it be the image of Isaac and Ishmael bearing Abraham together, whether it be the, the image of Jacob and Esau actually embracing. It's just so hard right now in 2023, in this moment during the war, to see the embrace at the other side. And maybe that's why the Torah teaches us these stories in these kind of long narrative arcs over weeks. I think that's very possible, but look, I'm I'm um, I'm running the risk of of doing very big damage to my brand, mm -hmm. uh, as 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 the word goes in Los Angeles, uh, if if I continue to indulge in such uh, happy feely sentiments. So so I want to focus on a, on a slightly different. I agree with everything you said, but I want to focus on a slightly different um, moment from from the parsha, which I think is truly the greatest takeaway for this these times that we have. Um, and it has to do not with Esau and Jacob, but, but with the elderly Isaac. Here he is, and sometime in the beginning of the Parsha, we're told there was famine again in the land of Israel. And Isaac says, I know what to do. I'll do exactly what dad did. I'll go to Egypt. And Hashem comes and says, no, you will stay right here. Furthermore, you will stay right here and I will protect you because of the covenant that I had struck with your father. Now imagine poor Isaac. He wants to be a man of action. He wants to be a man of consequence. He wants to rise and go and do the thing just like his cool dad did. And God says, no, stay. And if that wasn't bad enough, all of a sudden all of these wells that his father had dug, the Philistines, uh, who are uh, people who are concerned with nothing but destruction, take these wells and they gunk them up. With, with dirt and with rocks so they cannot no longer be sources of living water. And here is what Isaac does. Not only does he redig these wells, but he consecrates them by giving them the exact same names as his father had when he first did it. And you could say, man, what a Sisyphean task. The Philistines are just going to do the same thing again. And you could say, it's kind of foolish. You don't even know if there's water there anymore. Wells are, you know, changing things. But that's not who we are. We are well diggers. 
It is hard work. There is no glory in it. But we are truly, we call Avraham Avraham Avinu, and sometimes Yaakov Avinu because he later changed his name for Israel. But Isaac is really truly my guy. And I'll mention one last thing about him too. There's a big kind of weird thing if you look at these three fathers. Avraham had a name change. He was Avram, and then he became Avraham. Yaakov had a name change. He was Yaakov, and then when he wrestled with the angel, he became Israel. Doesn't Isaac get his too? And the answer is that he did. Because later, in not next week, but a week after that, we see him referred to again and again and again as Pachad the fear of Isaac. And you could say, oh, I understand. It's kind of unkind, but he's the guy who was afraid as literally his dad was standing with a knife over him. But I don't think that's what the Pachad means. Because the pachad, the fear of God, is balanced perfectly with Yitzchak, with his name, which is laughter. And it's no longer his mother's laughter at being told that she was pregnant at 90-something. It's his laughter. It's the ability to say, oh, I understand. I have perfect fear of God. I understand that what I'm doing is futile. I understand that this is terrible. I understand that there may not be water here anymore, but I will laugh at the face of this fear and this danger, and I will continue to find joy at the face of all this hardship. I will prevail. And the Parsha ends beautifully by telling us that not only did they dig and find live water, but they said they called this place Be'er Sheva until this very day, which is true. It's the city of Be'er Sheva. It's eternal. When you do the hard work, when you have faith in God, when you adhere to the traditions of your parents, you live forever. Absolutely beautiful. And in so many ways, Pachad Yitzchak, the fear and laughter, that combination has defined the Jewish existence for so long. Hallelujah. We live with both. We, we, we joke about things that were scary the most courageous. We're lactose intolerant, but we joke about it. But we joke about it. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. Well, this episode about Beersheva was brought to you by Evian and Jewish National <laughs> Fund. And we want to thank both of them for sponsoring. Um, if you are on your Peloton or you are in the car, we want to thank you for, uh, for joining us for this episode. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. We so enjoy learning with you at Valley Beth Shalom. Thank you for joining us on the podcast. And, uh, and thank you, Liel, for being here in L.A. What a pleasure. 